telephoned by you only in case of my extended and inexplicable absence. No, events will proceed just as I have foretold, and you will not read this letter. I shall arrive before it, shall gently take it from you before you open it, and all of this will be unread, unnecessary, a precaution known to no one but me. But, but, Margaret, but, you have seen as clearly as anyone the malevolence of those who would have us fail, and as one never knows when fatal accidents or worse might befall one. And so I am taking the liberty of sending to you the enclosed journals. Dear God, may it all arrive safely. Margaret, you are now holding, if the besuckered tentacles of my enemies have not yet slithered into the Egyptian postal system, three packets arranged chronologically in order of composition. They open 10th of October, with my arrival in Cairo at the Hotel of the Sphinx. Thoughts of you and our engagement party still effervescent in my head. Journal entries never meant for publication are intermingled with those that were, and with elements of the finished work. Much of the journal is a letter to you, the letter I never found the right moment to send until now. I intend to untangle all that back in Boston. The second packet begins when I exhausted my supply of the hotel stationery, and in its place relied on the generosity of colleagues at the Egyptian government's antiquities service. Several score pages are on the letterhead of the service director-general. Finally, I have nearly filled one very handsome Let's Number 46 Indian and Colonial Rough Diary preferred journals of British explorers whilst working in faraway heat and sand, advancing knowledge at the risk of their very heights. Do not worry, the pages torn from its back are none other than the pages of this letter. Together, the three documents compose the rough draft of my indisputable masterwork, Ralph M. Trillipush and the Discovery of the Tomb of Atum Hadu. Also, I'm enclosing the letters you have sent me here, your words, kind and cruel, intermingled. Seven letters, two cables, and the cable I sent you that was thrown in my face yesterday. And your father's cables to me. I just replaced the stylus, my last but one. This is a lovely song. I'm trusting a boy to serve as my messenger to the post. Over time, Margaret, there is erosion. Sands abraid, rubble obscures, papyri crumble, paints decay. Some of this is, of course, destructive. But some erosion is clarifying, as it scours away false resemblances, uncharacteristic lapses, confusing and inessential details. If, in the course of writing my notes, I have made here and there a wrong turn, misunderstood or badly described something I saw or thought I saw, well at the time, one thinks. No matter, I shall edit when I return home. And I shall. But of course, should I be beaten to death and shoved inside a gangly earl's travelling trunk, and then hacked to pieces, and my shreds lazily flipped overboard to peckish sharks, well then, a pity indeed that I did not edit my work when I had the chance. I shall then need a brilliant and courageous redactor, who can puff away dusty speculation to reveal stark, cold, obsidian, and alabaster truth. You will provide that clarifying erosion.
We come to the crucial task I'm entrusting to you. My news become executrix. You are now the guardian goddess of all that I have accomplished. These writings are the story of my discovery, my trouncing of doubters and self-doubt. I am entrusting to you nothing less than my immortality. I am relying on you, despite everything. For whom else do I have? If something should happen to my body, then you are now responsible, by opening this package, by reading these words, to ensure that my name and the name of Atum Hadu never perish. It is the least you can do for me, Margaret. You will oversee the publication of this, my last work. Insist on a large printing from a prestigious university press. Stamp your pretty foot, and demand shelf space in all major university libraries, as well as with the major Egyptological museums in the USA, Britain, France, Germany, Italy, and in Cairo. And the general public. Cover your ears, Maggie for there will be a clamour like no one has ever heard when the news escapes. But hold them all at bay until you are ready. Do the work as I am telling you. Insist that the book be printed exactly as I say, and give the vultures nothing else. I do not have time to edit just at the moment. Events are moving too fast here, and we leave tomorrow. So I shall do it myself when I arrive safely home but allow me to provide contingent guidance if events should unwind elsewise. For example, as I look at them now, certainly some of the early sketches seem not to have been entirely complete. The eye plays tricks in dim light when one is hurried, but the final drawings are unquestionably precise, so those first efforts can go. And you will extract my ongoing letter to you, my private or overly candid diary entries here and there. What is only for you, and what is for all the world, fall away from each other. The division is an easy one to see, if you are careful. I was over-eager as a diarist, and as your correspondent at the beginning. There is no need to publish anything about you and me, the parties and the partnerships. I was excited, and for good reason, Margaret, as history will attest. And I see now also some stray meditation, releasing a little scholarly steam here and there. My second guess is allowed some room to stumble about, only to suffocate in the open air. A careful reading, I beg of you. A careful reading in private. Careful editing. And then find a typist, called Vernon Collins. Use my illustrations from the notebooks, just the last group of them, when Atum Hadu's paradoxes were all clear, and I at last understood what I was seeing. If you must be my widow, M, then you will also be my wind. You will gently erode away the inessential. I started crossing bits out just now, but I don't have time, and I might cut into bone. So, look here. I shall make your work as simple as I can. The relevant material in order. Kent, Oxford, the discovery of Fragment C with my friend, his tragic end, you and I falling in love, your father's investment, Artum Hadu's tomb in all its splendour, the insightful solution to his tomb paradox, sealing up our find for a later return, your father and I heading home, our unfortunate murder, or not, of course. It could not be clearer. Burn the rest as the marginalia of a scholar's early drafts. The sunset here 
It's unlike anything I've ever seen. The colour as the sun melts into the changing desert cliffs. Such colours do not exist in Boston or Kent. These are the hills and cliffs where my life story is indelibly etched. Last Silas, I do love this song. If, Margaret, you are reading this letter, sobbing, horrified at your double loss, begirding yourself and your pen for the vital tasks ahead of you, then I do not hesitate to accuse from here, before the commission of the dreadful crime itself, the maniacal Howard Carter, whose name you may perhaps have heard in recent weeks, the half-mad, congenitally lucky bumbler who tripped over a stair and fell into the suspiciously well-preserved tomb of some minor 18th dynasty boy kinglet named Triton Common, and who in his crippling jealousy has several times threatened my person in the past months, both while sober and whilst intoxicated on a variety of local narcotic inhalants. If I have neglected to note in my professional journals Carter's unceasing attitude of hostility and barely contained violence towards me, such delicacy is only a pained professional courtesy to a once great explorer, and is, moreover, an example of that certain bravura I have always displayed and you have always admired. Thus, I have ignored his repeated threats to make me and my noble patron, Mr. Chester Crawford Finneran, disappear inexplicably. Obviously, should your father and I not step off the Cristoforo Colombo in the port of New York, you may be quite certain that we were done in by Carter or one of his thugs, like his money-man, a lanky English earl, whose mild manner phrase and scarcely covers a vicious character, stretch it though he does, or by their hideous orange-haired